Hello, and welcome to TechnoSapien, a future tense series of podcasts from Slate, New America, and Arizona State University. In this series, as the name suggests, we'll examine how technology, now and in the future, will impact us as a species and how we relate to each other. Each podcast is a debate about whether machines will solve our problems or make them worse. I'm Christine Rosen, Future Tense Fellow and Senior Editor of The New Atlantis, and I'm the skeptical voice on technology. I'm joined by Marvin Amori, a Future Tense Fellow and First Amendment lawyer who gets a special twinkle in his eye when he hears the word algorithm. Is that right, Marvin? That is correct. (laughs) Today, we're going to discuss the automation of everything with Christopher Steiner, an engineer and author of the book, Automate This, How Algorithms Came to Rule Our World. Hi, Christopher. Hello. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. Pleasure's mine. Well, we know that it's more efficient and safe to let a machine do something for us sometimes. It can remove the human error factor, if you will. And that can be good automating things such as, you know, paying your bills, for example. But other studies have shown us that, for example, cockpit automation has caused serious drop in pilots' abilities to manually fly airplanes. And we know that on Wall Street, some runaway trading algorithms have caused stock market flash crashes, as they're known. So in an era of auto updates and rogue algorithms, how much automation is too much? Well, that's a good question. I, and I don't, you know, sometimes I don't think it's, it's the idea of automation that's the problem. It's just how it's put in place. And I think, you know, on Wall Street, for instance, you know, automating a lot of these processes has been good for most of us, good for the market. It has lowered the cost burden for the normal person to make trades. I mean, we all, you know, we all know people who probably play the stock market on a regular basis who log into their Scott Trade account or their E-Trade account or whatever one it is and make trades, you know, maybe every week, maybe every day. You know, they just like it. That's fun. Maybe they don't make money. Maybe they lose a little. Uh, but, you know, they like hopping in and out of Apple or in and out of Google or whatever it is. Now, you turn the clock back 15 years and it was a lot harder to do that. Actually, maybe maybe more like 20 years. It was a lot harder to do that. I mean, you had to call your stockbroker. And, you know, say, hey, I want to make this trade. Can you get it done in the next few hours? He'll say, I'll try. Uh, and then he, of course, would call somebody else. Uh, hopefully that would be in New York near the stock exchange floor. And they would place an order with what's called the specialist. And hopefully within a couple of hours, you'll have made your trade. And that would cost you, you know, $100 or more because there's so many humans touching the order. Oh, now, those pesky course, humans. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, now, of course, it, it costs you seven bucks or five bucks or whatever it is. And uh, it has largely democratized the markets. Where, where things have gone wrong on the stock market and where things can go wrong otherwise is we've been at the limit of utility of speed and algorithms on the stock markets for a long time, probably better than a decade. You know, we saw those improvements trickle down to the normal man as far as in exchange costs, in you know, costs for loads on mutual funds and things like that. Those all shook out 10 years ago. The last 10 years have been this crazy optimization where People are racing around for literally microseconds, which is a millionth of a second. And, you know, they're not really doing anybody good. and They're adding a lot of risk to the market. And now the algorithms, of course, are, are fighting over pennies. So I guess I have one, one thought here, which is when you say algorithm, people's minds sort of shut off sometimes. I and think so you're I've, right. I've read some news articles about, you know, Google's algorithm or Netflix's algorithm. And algorithms are just equations programmed by people based on data they have. And they're wrong fairly often, from what I understand. And since we live in a world where not that many people sort of understand math really well, understand programming really well, I feel like the the reporting 
of what happens to algorithms under the hood isn't quite as strong as it could be. And I say that partly just because I've watched a lot of articles that just say, oh, it's because of the algorithm, as though there aren't people underneath the hood actually deciding what's in the algorithm and what isn't in the algorithm. Well, and that, That's right. which leads to this question, which I, I think you probably have a good answer for us, um, the transparency of these algorithms. Should, should companies that are designing algorithms that say, for example, drive our cars for us, should they be required to be more transparent about what those algorithms look like? Right now, the claim is often made um, from a business perspective, no, these are proprietary. So how proprietary right. should algorithms be in this future world where so much is automated? Well, I don't think, you know, Google or anybody else designing a driving algorithm would be, would be against making it open. And you know, a lot of these algorithms are so-called learning algorithms, you know, they're, they're programmed to program themselves. They kind of have a, have a base set of instructions. And by the way, I mean, an algorithm really is just a set of instructions. It's a set of code that tells the machine what to do with a particular piece of information, how to align it with other factors and, and what you want it to produce. But a lot of these driving algorithms, for instance, they learn and they're supposed to give you a desired output. And they do these things over and over again, these processes, and they learn what produces those outputs. And they tend to follow those paths. So it's not always as simple as being, say, transparent with the code, because sometimes the code changes on a daily basis or a minute-by-minute basis. So you wrote a book called Automate This. Give me the thesis of the book. Sure. The thesis is the automation of everything. It is that we are entering kind of a period where things really got kicked off and started on Wall Street, where we saw algorithms displace humans and, and kind of rewrite the rules of the market. I think, you know, we're seeing the same thing in things like the medical industry and things like the music industry and, and all sorts of places where you wouldn't normally expect uh, computer science to have such an effect. These realms of, of human resource that we expect to be kind of the last bastions of human wherewithal. And in fact, you know, algorithms are quite good at a lot of those jobs. A few examples might be Pandora, like the algorithm in Pandora for my radio station, or, sure, um, sure. or the Netflix categories, using all the data to, to determine yeah. that, I, that I'm and really think, interested in movies and with I think a strong everybody, female lead. Yeah, right. And I think everybody can relate to that. You know, I think we all understand how that algorithm works. Well, there's other people who have displayed tendencies like mine when picking movies, and but they've also picked these movies and I've never picked those movies. So maybe, you know, it would be, it would be wise for the algorithm to recommend those movies. Those are complicated algorithms, not to kind of dumb them down, but you know, what you're seeing is there are algorithms now that Hollywood studios use to determine whether or not they should buy a script. Right. They well, the and, script. and that used so to be, her, so, so, so this book just... is a triumph. It's a triumph. <laughs> it's, it's how algorithms came to rule our world. That sounds like a success story. Okay. So which to me, it sounds like a dystopia because, you know, the, this is suggesting, and I think Marvin is embracing this idea that people are the problem here to which algorithms are the solution. And we know that, you know, there've been some predictions about that more than half of some of the job categories we have, especially in what we do, Marvin, called so-called knowledge work, not oxymoronically, that, that those will be be automated eventually, journalism, um, aspects of, of the legal profession in the next two decades, as soon as the next two decades. So, Chris, what do you think is the danger of replacing humans with algorithms? Or do you think we might be heading a little too pell-mell into embracing algorithm in the same way that we did a, a decade or so ago when we heard the word neuroscience, which turned otherwise rational right. people into, into fantasists? Yeah. I, you know, I, I think it, it's definitely one of these things where you have to take it on a case-by-case basis. 
Um, I wish I could make some overreaching proclamation that would apply to everything, but there isn't such a thing, right? I think in the case of the stock market, I think a lot of these guys who basically rule the market at this point should be throttled back. Moving away from Wall Street, I mean, I think one of the more interesting questions facing all of us in the next 20 years is going to be, when do we let algorithms drive for us? You know, when are we going to let them basically take over all the vehicles on the road? That's more interesting to me because I do think it's a real, you know, it's, it's something that we're all going to come to face here in the next 20, 30 years. And if you're asking me, I, I mean, I do think this is a chore that should be handed over to algorithms. Uh, but the ine- inevitable and explain why people, people why, will, Chris, right. why, why should we have driverless cars instead of human drivers? The reason is because fewer people will die. Great reason. What do you think of that reason, Christine? <laughs> yes, I'm going to argue with the fewer people will die reason. That's like arguing against children, you know, and, and sparkly rainbow unicorns. No, but I, but but here's a question. Setting aside the issue of driverless cars, but in general, a philosopher would pose this challenge. If we start to automate um, these choices, yes, some lives might be saved in certain particular contexts. Um, more regulation of, of highway safety would also achieve that same result without automating it. What about moral judgment? What about human moral judgment. When your Google car crashes and kills someone, who's responsible? Right. Well, the, I, you know, I don't have an answer to that question. I Neither do does think Google. That, <laughs> right. You know, I, I do think that, you know, a Google car has yet to kill anybody as far as I know. And if you, if you look at, I mean, we have 40,000 people a year die in the United States on the roads. And I mean, I, I, I don't think it's, it's ridiculous to say that, you know, algorithmic uh, cars driven by algorithms would probably cut that in half, if not quite a bit more. Now, I do think people would still die. And I think the first time somebody died at the hands of an algorithm, it would be, I mean, it would be a huge disaster for, for all involved. And I, and I don't know if that would just end the entire experiment, right? But it shouldn't. Because overall, we could save 20,000 lives a year. And that is very conservative, I think. But we could uh, save lives every year by cars. taking pizza away from all Americans, too. I mean, this is we're getting into an issue of moral autonomy here, though, not just algorithms. I mean, in a risk averse society, you can start right. going down but, the. But, Christine, we, we could make a collective judgment, a sort of moral collective judgment that we want to save 20,000 lives a year and we want to stop driving. Right. We want to have driverless Ubers, driverless cars. That's a moral judgment we can make collectively. And mm-hmm. I guess the question is, why wouldn't we as a society, what, what's to fear? What's, what's the downside? Because we're independent people who like to do our own thing when we feel like it and not be surveyed and monitored by Google when we're in our cars, for example. I got saying. you. So, so, <laughs> so there's the threat of surveillance, right, which we have kind of now already with like the OnStar systems. People will, will always kind of know where we are in our cars. So the well, we, sur- we carry cell phones, right? And so we I carry mean, cell you phones. Know. Exactly yeah. right. So we're all, people always know where we are. And someone could could find out where we are through our through our beacons in our pocket, and I forget what I was going to say other than that. I don't know. <laughs> well, let me ask you this, Chris. Well, um, I mean, you know, the thing about driving a car is you're not only in, you're not only affecting yourself, right? You, you know, you are affecting the lives of everybody else on the road. And it's great that you can decide I'm going to drive 40 miles an hour here on this street and 20 miles an hour on this street. But you know, it's probably better for society if you just drive the speed limit and everybody else drives the speed limit as well. You still get to decide where you go, right? You still get to decide. You know what? I'm going to go to the forest preserves today and go for a hike. That's fine. But you know what? The odds of you dying on that drive will go down by more than half if an algorithm is doing. So the here's what I wanted to say. I remember now. You know, when you read science fiction, right, there are sort of stories of you know traveling roads or whatever. So imagine you have a world where all of us don't drive; our cars drive for us. 
and Christine robs a bank, right? Because you have a sort of remote control have that tendency. turn off of Christine's car when she robs a bank, which might be a good idea. But let's say Christine is like Robin Hood or something. Let's say, you know, a political activist. I don't know. I mean, the, the, we get to a point where we know where everyone's driving and we can control their movements uh, because they no longer control their own movements. They're no longer driving. It's sort of this grid that's driving for us. But now we're getting into into massive speculation. Well, but there's also the issue of do you want a society that's a car-centered uh, society? I mean, there's a whole separate question about if we start to automate – once you automate something, it becomes easier and more likely for people to do that thing, yes? Like to pay their bills that's or right, to drive a right. car. Of course. Do you want a society which makes driving everywhere in your car easier? I think there, that if you ask an environmental uh, an environmentalist, they'll say this is not a good idea. Let's not but, automate car, cars because more people will be in them driving around or not, use them more often. I, if you yeah, automate that, cars, that's yeah, that's implying that that the actual act of driving is what limits driving right now. And I don't, I don't think, except for in the case of truckers, I don't think mm. that the, the act of driving limits anybody in how they drive. Fair I mean, enough, do you think so? Enough. Yeah. Yeah. Where I think things will go, especially because Google has invent, has invested in driverless cars and invested in Uber, is that we'll go to a world where people probably own fewer cars and have cars on demand. Right, right now, I use Uber, I use Lyft, I use whatever, and a real person comes and picks me up. Soon enough, a driverless car will pick me up and take me where I need to go, and I won't need to own a car. So it's actually right. you could have it could be an environmentally friendly future of algorithms and car and and car sharing among the public. Okay, well, let's get into the future just a tad more. What are your thoughts on what are known as predictive algorithms, these algorithms that claim to be able to predict, for example, um, potential criminal activity on a certain street corner at a certain time, or even world crises by monitoring chatter on Twitter um, to see where the next protest might break out? What sort of potential do you see in predictive algorithms, and, and what sort of reductive elements do you see in those algorithms? Well, I mean, I think obviously those algorithms already proven their worth. I mean, if you talk about predictive algorithms in the world of medicine, or, except for Google you know, flu trends, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, you know, they're not always right. You you have to always take these things with a grain of salt. But I think you know when you talk about algorithms going off of Twitter, talk and and if they're, if they're programmed smartly enough, I think you can learn a lot from them. Uh, but when you're making real decisions that affect real people, I think at the end of the day, algorithms sh- at this point should probably just be an input. Right, they're one input. An algorithm takes many inputs, and I think the human right now is the ultimate algorithm in that you're taking the input from an algorithm and an input from other data feeds you 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 need, and you make your decision. I mean, I I have no doubt that predictive algorithms and the companies who build them will continue to prosper uh, in this world. I mean, the scale of software is such that, as you know, Mark Andreessen said, as you probably heard, software is eating the world, Uh, and I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. So, Chris, what will we automate next? Well, I think you're going to see a lot more automation in the world of medicine. Uh, there's, there's a couple things. I mean, I think we've all heard about the shortage in doctors. We're not quite in a world where there aren't enough doctors in the United States anyway. But I do think when you talk about the weights in emergency rooms and, the, in fact, real shortage of primary care doctors, I do think that algorithms are going to do more of the simple things, you know, when it comes to prescribe, well, maybe not prescribing, but certainly, you know, doing like your yearly checkup, a lot of that stuff an algorithm can do, you know, you don't really need a doctor. You know, I think the doc, you know, the best doctor should be saved when you have a conundrum, when an algorithm can't produce, you know, a better outcome for you. When when you Uh, say algorithm, you mean like on my iPhone, I download an app 
and sure. and I could just sure, do it, a home physical. And I do think in the case of, of maladies that are more complicated, you could go to an algorithm that, you know, couldn't be, say, housed within your within your iPhone or within a normal cloud application. Uh, you know, something run by like IBM's Watson. OK, so uh, what would that very real? But what would a yeah. Hippocratic oath for an algorithm look like? I mean, we do have there's a reason that we entrust some of this diagnosis and some of this task work to physicians because they are human beings and they presumably have a moral conscience. So how will we square that circle? I mean, I know some of the stuff that they're asked to do, we could outsource to an app. But at the end of the day, that that's a very fine line we're suggesting treading there between the human the human conscience and the and the sophisticated algorithm. Well, I think you could argue that the algorithm has no morality, good or bad. Um, it's just working on information. And I think that's what we want our doctors to do. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Christopher Steiner has joined us today. He's, the, he's an engineer and he's, an author, he's the author of Automate This, How Algorithms Came to Rule Our World. Thank you so much, Christopher, for joining us. It was my pleasure. Thanks, Chris. I'd like to thank Ariel Bogle, Elizabeth Weingarten, and Fuzz Hogan for producing this series. The executive producer of Slate Podcasts is Andy Bowers. With Marvin Amari, I'm Christine Rosen. Thanks for listening. <laughs>